Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Equipped. I am today just one half of the hosting crew because it's just uh, it's just me and Gene. Gene, what's up? Two parts of the clown show, my man. Uh, I am doing well. I'm doing well. It's um, it's been just you know typical week of golf nonsense, but it's not about me, RB. It's about you, and we need to hear about this trip of yours. Do what tell. Trip? Well, for, for those who are, are curious, um, Jonathan is uh, – Chris, Chris. look, we've heard an update from Chris, by the way. Chris is alive and well. Uh, yes. We've not, we've not sent him to Siberia to fit golf clubs. Um, you know, we are hoping to have him back pretty soon. Uh, but Jonathan is at the Wells Fargo this week. Uh, he's already reported on uh, some some stuff, including Roy McElroy's got some got a new couple wedges in the bag, which is pretty cool. Also has the new or not the new. He got his his spider back in the bag as well. So you can check that out over at uh, golf.com. But he is he's currently, I believe, probably up in the air, headed back somewhere to the uh, the great state of Texas. So um, it is just Gene and I and. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, if you want to get into it, I was I was not here last week because I was uh, I was in Scotland and Ireland, enjoying the enjoying the sights, enjoying the uh, the food and beverage, uh, which was all very good, including Jean. I got to say, lovely recommendation in Edinburgh. I, I I can't even remember the name of it right now, but it was like we got lost trying Devil, to find the, it. De- the Devil's Advocate. It was awesome. It was really good. Um, isn't that cool how you walk down that staircase and you're just and that's the reason I love that place for everybody listening the devil's advocates right off the royal mile in edinburgh and it it goes back to like 14th century edinburgh it is so gothic and trippy and dark and at night with fog but continue well, I, rb yeah well I, that was the thing like, i couldn't imagine so we like we uh, went from St. Andrews to Edinburgh. We were only there for an evening. Uh, went out for dinner. The thing that was shocking was I didn't realize how, how hilly Edinburgh was. Like oh, we had taken it, we had taken a train everywhere or like a tram, and we finally just said, "I don't want to wait on a train. Let's just take an Uber," which is great because it's everywhere. <laughs> so yep. took an Uber right to where we wanted to go. Uh, got lost trying to find it. Like you said, there's I didn't realize again like these like six foot wide long like we're talking hundreds of steps going up and down all over the place. Got got went down one, went back up the other. Uh, but finally found the restaurant. Like I said, it was delicious. Uh, and just seeing the city was was gorgeous. Um, and then we went to, you know, speaking of, of dead people, we went to the, like the the one square that's there uh, and the last drop. And I didn't realize, even though it was kind of like oh, everywhere. Oh, did you go to Grass Market? We did. Yeah. Nice. And um, I didn't realize that the the pun of the, the last drop pub was not just because of, <laughs> you know, alcohol, but also because it was where they hung people. And I honestly oh, yeah. didn't realize that until like three days later. And I was like, oh. oh, I get the pun. And I thought, oh, that's why they had nooses everywhere. Cause this is where they, you know, hung all the witches or whatever. Yeah. That was the, that was the, that was the public hanging area. And it um, sure was, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because Newtown Edinburgh is gridded off, you know, it's very square on the other side of the train tracks. But, you know, the old town where you were, it, it's like you can't get there from here. You start walking on these staircases and you go these crazy routes. And it, but part of the fun is getting lost in the city. I mean, everything's yeah. circular and it's just, it's, yeah, it's a fascinating city to explore. We so just tell walked, me, we so walked tell up me. the big hill and then, like, we saw, and I was like, oh, wait, Edinburgh Castle, like, we're right there. Holy crap. Like, this is sweet. And so, yeah, anyways, it was, it was, it was a beautiful city. Uh, and so it was, so is uh, Dublin as well. I probably would have spent less time in Dublin and got out of the city a little more. We didn't rent a car, uh, right. but no lesson learned, uh, but it was a lot of fun either way. 
Dublin to me is kind of the Brooklyn to London's Manhattan. It's a little grittier, but I like it because it's, you know, it's funky and it's interesting. But this is a golf podcast. So tell me, first impression, St. Andrews, how'd you feel? It was great. It was so much fun. Um, just in general, I think like getting there was really cool because, um, you know, flew from Dublin, uh, got into, uh, ran, I, I kind of wrote about it. So I, I kind of wrote about the first T stuff, uh, for golf.com as well. Um, uh, but it was like just getting there and like seeing the place like, Oh my God, like it's, it's weird. Cause when you're, um, <laughs> you, said you, were gonna, you said you were gonna do this well let I me know. let me tell you a story real quick which you'll crack up on because it's the exact opposite of your sensation first time i went there 17 oh. years ago pre-gps i had a handheld oh. map and i'm driving into the city into the town of st andrews and i took a left-hand turn onto the road and for those who haven't been there there's a two-lane street that runs through one and 18 that's a fully functioning street and i'm driving yeah. my rent a car as people are hitting golf balls over me and i'm like i just did something horribly wrong i think i just broke the law and i stopped right in the middle between one and 18 and i tried to back up and then oh, there were no. cars behind me and then i'm panicking and i'm like i'm gonna get arrested i'm like what am i doing on the street there's and like I'm a person there like directing traffic which is kind of funny and like that's the thing that i think about the course is like and i said this to my wife when we were there was like you know, everyone says that it's like this, this holy place. And it is, it's like this, this great place. Um, but you know, the town and they've, they've made changes. Like, you know, the thing that was like, I guess was built in the seventies. Like the old course hotel was never there. Like no, this fame, no, this famous no. shot only became like more famous in the seventies because yeah. someone built this at the time, godly looking hotel it on still the is. side dock, like of like the 17th hole of this famous golf course. Like there's like, why? And now well, it's it, this famous it goes, thing to like hit the shot over it. Right. It, it goes back to the fact that architects lost their minds in the seventies. If you look <sighs> at any architecture in the seventies, they were all on acid. They all just decided, <laughs> Oh, square boxes that are filled with brutalism. Yeah. Outside. And Nate faceless windows are a great architectural aesthetic. No, you're hundred. You're hundred percent right. And the other thing about St. Andrews that I think is so cool is on Sundays they turn it into a park, and you're not allowed to play golf, but you can do whatever you want. And that was the other thing. So I ended up there on a Saturday. On a Sunday, I went to watch people play golf just to watch, and people are picnicking on the 18th green, oh. and I'm looking and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" It's it's a very very interesting setting and i think it's 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 typical for scotland because courses were built around the towns but what makes it so unique is it's so integrated into the town as to how it flows and i i know you're feeling sentimental going there and i'm not the biggest sentimentalist when it comes to the game but I do enjoy parking myself on 18 and watching groups finish because first off, it's an international gallery that you see, you hear so many different languages, but secondly, it's just this like rite of passage that you can see people, you know, this is the home of golf and 
it's like whenever I'm feeling cynical about the game, um, or more importantly, sometimes the industry, I really enjoy sitting on 18 and just kind of experiencing that, you know, the beauty and the aesthetics and, and kind of, you know, the, the home of golf. So I'm glad yeah. you got, a ch- I'm glad you got a chance. I am not played the old course. I played every course there except for the old course. And the no. reason is I will not play it in the rain nor the wind, which is like oh, 80% of the good time. Luck with that. Good and luck so with that. the, the clear days that I have off, um, I will not wake up at two in the morning to go sit at the caddy <laughs> shack to, to do it. But I have played a course that you and I have played. That's one of my favorite there. And that's Crail. And Crail yes. is w- truly, and it's, you know, for the true golf sickos out there, it was the, um, featured in golf in the kingdom. It is one of the most idiosyncratic golf courses I've ever seen. You know, you'll have a par four that's like 290 yards surrounded by 12 foot pot bunkers. And then you'll have a par three that's like 300 yards uphill. And it just every, and then there's a, there's one hole that, uh, that's got a, about at 240 yards, it's got a wall, a brick wall that's, or a stone wall that's like three feet high and it's a risk reward thing where you've got to either try to carry it or if not that ball's coming back oh, yeah. anyway it's like, great course you can see all the holes and everything so with with crail it was funny like i played with um a member who who's there his name's adam uh i don't know if i, could, I didn't say i used last time or not so um i just uh, adam was great um and he, he invited me out and we played and his buddy um scott made a hole in one while we were while we were playing and wow. And I was like super confused and they, they all looked, they kind of both chuckled at me because I was like a bit of an idiot in the, in the wind because this, this ball went up and it just, it dunked, like didn't, didn't even like wreck the hole, nothing. It was like straight in. Wow. And I'm like, where'd it go? Like, and they're like, I think it went in. And I'm like, no, it didn't. Like I think, did, did, didn't it just did it hit the flagstick and ricochet? Like it was like, it was a, it wasn't, it was a nice sunny day and I guess like completely lost it. And I was like, where did it go? And yeah, I dunked it on the fly. So it was the first hole in one that I've ever actually been playing when I saw it. I've seen them at like pro, like PGA tour events a couple times in person, but like to see it, I was like, oh, you just dunked it. It was sick. Um, wow. but the course was great. Uh, to your point about like enjoying the, like the place, um, my wife and I did this on Sunday, we played the Himalaya, which is like the putting course, yep. um, which was the blast. And like, there's little dogs running around and all kinds of stuff. And I think that's the thing that, you know, t- to your point, people, my wife is worried about like she's like I don't want, I don't know like I don't want to like you know I don't feel like a little bit self conscious but like playing out and, like first of all she plays a lot of golf we brought our own clubs with her we brought like a little half set and we brought our own putters to the putting course although they had all kinds of stuff and brought our own golf balls and it's like oh like there's like there's kids and old people and like people just like walking around and like oh let's do this and like let's take twenty minutes or an hour or whatever and like halfway to the pub or going to the jigger or whatever it happens to be right. And it was kind of this like realization that like, golf is part of the culture than it is anything else. And I'd never, I'd never seen it in person, obviously, but like I've obviously like written or not written, like uh, read a lot about it and listened to a lot about it through podcasts. And I thought like, yeah, this is really cool. And then on the one day we went to uh, Balgove, which is like the little nine hole course that was there. And it was, again, it was a cold day. She's, she's, uh, I, I'm someone who runs pretty hot. So like, I didn't need really the hand warmer. It was a little cold and windy and she had my hand warmer and we uh, played the little nine hole course. And there's two old ladies in front of us, just like booting it around. No problem playing in the, in the rain. And you know, the thing is like the ball runs there. It's, you know, it's all sand. It's dry. And like, I think that's the thing that people don't 
like she was like that was a lot of fun like that was actually a lot of fun and i wasn't ex- it wasn't she that she wasn't expecting to have that much fun but it was just the idea of like golf it when you when you change it up and you like make it different then we walked back and went to the jigger and do the clubs out front and had a pint and had some beer and all kinds of like stuff and i think that to me was like what made it so much fun is like you're just kind of like really into it um but the reason i get emotional is because like people see people see like what i do i like my job i love my job but it wasn't always this easy to like get to like this place and there were times when like i never thought i'd be able to afford to go or even see it <laughs> so like standing there like seeing the town and seeing the beach not even playing the golf, like the golf, like once you're on the golf course, you're like, oh, I'm just playing golf with like two complete random strangers. Um, but like seeing it and like saying like, I never thought I'd be able to do it and like be there. That's what's more emotional than like actual golf. Like, yes, golf is cool, but like to like think of like, you're going to fail at something or like you're going to be involved. Like, yes, I've been in golf for a long time, but like I had crappy, crappy jobs in golf. Like I know jobs that didn't pay very well. And I know not all golf is like that. And um, there's a lot of opportunity in it, but it's not easy for people in a lot of, like not just me, but, and I, I say that from a, you know, it feels like a throne at this point, but you know, it, it's not easy for people. And I can remember like 18 months ago before, like I got this job, I was like talking to people and they're like, have you ever been to St. Andrews? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, haven't you? Why haven't you gone yet? And I'm like, why do you think I haven't gone yet? Because it's expensive and it's hard to go and it's hard to get there. And I got like kids and all these other things and responsibilities. And like, it's hard to do those things. And to be able to like say that I finally did it, that to me is like, Dude, it's a right passage. Yeah, you yeah, made it. I made it. And that's like, that's why I'm, I get emotional. That's awesome. It's like, I didn't. Uh, sorry. For a it's, long time where I never thought I'd get there and see it in person. And you just stand there and you're like walking around like Sunday or you're standing there on the putting green. You look back in the town like you see like, the you know, it's like kind of the weird. I'm going to make jokes again. But like, you know, you see like the Disney castle and little kids walk in. It's like, oh, my God, it's a Disney, Disney castle. And you're like, yeah, well, you know, someone built that to like create an emotional response. But this is there because it was just it's been there for, you know, hundreds of years. And it's just like one of those things like you expect to see, but you hope to see. And you see it on TV and you say, oh, one day I'll go. But to actually like finally go was uh, was really cool because, like I said, I didn't think I'd ever actually get the chance. And, uh, yeah, it was neat. But, well, uh, you know, the, 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 key, the key, and we're both very fortunate in this regard, and it's interesting because we come at it from two different perspectives. And my perspective, you know, I grew up the kid – of a golf pro. And, you know, I think I've talked about on this podcast, I hated the game growing up because (laughs) I was on the other side of the game. I was, uh, I wasn't the country club kid. I was the working kid. I, I literally striped golf balls, you know, in the cart barn and, you know, I picked up balls, range balls, and I just never felt part of the golfing community. And, you know, through high school, I wanted to play every sport, but golf. And then, the sick joke of life. Of course, I graduated from college. I'm planning on going to graduate school to be a diplomat and I get sucked back into the golf industry. And it took me 
10 or 15 years to kind of make peace with my career. And one day I woke up when I was about 40 and I was like, you dumbass, you work in the golf industry. You don't work in a faceless or, you know, windowless office. You, you work in this amazing industry that all these people, all they think about on their free time and truth be told, a lot of their work time is playing golf. And, and, and you are sitting there and you have this opportunity. And I did a 180 degree turn and I've been very, very appreciative and thankful. And it's interesting because right about that same time was my first visit to St. Andrews. And I didn't quite have the emotional response that you did, but it was in a way cathartic because I realized, okay, this is a great game and this game has a lot to offer and there's a lot of upsides and positives. And I basically kind of just slapped myself upside the head and said, be appreciative, be thankful and, you know, be present. And I know this is sounding very airy fairy on a uh, equipment podcast, but, um, but it's, it's good to work in the golf industry. And ever since then, I've been just very, very, you know, thankful. So anyways, glad you got a chance to do it. Now that hopefully we haven't turned half our listeners off, let's yeah. talk about golf equipment. That's right. Cause we, we do have news. Um, Adams is back and you know what? We kind of don't get me wrong. Look, we get kind of teased information that we're going to get back and we do get a lot of this stuff kind of last minute cause they do not want it leaking out. Although they do trust us with information, maybe they maybe there's other people they don't kind of like trust all the time. Uh, but it's one of those things where people were, you know, the website changed a week ago or about a week and a half ago. It was like, send your email and we'll send you this notification. And officially, they are back with a full line of direct-to-consumer uh, products. That's kind of the way that it's going. You probably won't see this stuff in stores at the moment. That's really not the direction they want to go. And from them, the goal is to offer really high quality equipment for people that want new equipment might not be people that are going to go get fit probably people that might walk into a normal golf store or a normal brick and mortar store or go online to do their shopping from a, a retailer and be like whoa there's a little bit of sticker shock there but in the same sentence they also don't want to buy used right not only because they, they're not sure what they're going to buy but there's not really a lot of return recourse in that right when people are going through that process so They've got some great value with a lot of their products. They've got full line of drivers, fairwoods, hybrids, irons, and wedges, as well as, which is really cool, Adams Putters, which feature Seagroove technology, which is from the old Yes line. It was under the same company. So Yes was bought by Adams. Then at some point, Adams was bought by TaylorMade. And then after the last series, which was the XTDs, the they just kind of like shuttered it, which was, uh, I mean, I had an XTD driver. My I think I, my wife still has a, an XTD titanium fairway kicking around and things were hot. Um, but what they've done is they've really offered a line for, for golfers that is both for people that are, say, maybe a little bit newer to the game, but also people that are looking for a bit of value as well. And you've got undercut, hollow, they're not quite hollow cavities, there's a medallion in the back, but it's kind of like that style of golf club. It looks like a hollow body iron. They've got great wedges. I'm going to be testing the wedges later today and posting them on social media. Uh, I got some sneak peeks of uh, just some launch monitor data. Because of the way they shift mass on them, there's a ton of mass moved from the lower portion of the head and moved higher up. Uh, kind of like a high toe look, but not quite as big. And they apparently, 
they spin like crazy. All the launch monitor data that I've seen from them uh, spins like insane, uh, which I'm really excited to test out. Like launch lows spin high, which is what you want from a wedge. More draw bias in the hybrids, furry woods, and driver. And you know, I was sending you, I was sending our our text group uh, images yesterday, and I'm I'm not someone who really benefits necessarily from a draw bias product. Uh, but I can see why they are the way they are. Like fairy woods were good, good ball speed from them. And, uh, I mean, you got carbon composite and again, fairy woods wedges or sorry, fairy woods hybrids and driver, you've got carbon composite. So they're, they're really putting a lot of value into these, uh, real deal components from UST and KBS and Lampkin and all this stuff that's built into this, this product line. And they've got more coming with golf balls uh, and, uh, golf bags and all kinds of accessories and things. So it's a, it's a, it's kind of that mix between people that want high level product, want value, but don't want to buy used and also don't necessarily want to go all the way to the high end of new. And, uh, I think I, I do really honestly think that they, they've kind of hit the nail on the head here. I was testing the iron just the other day, again, sending it all to our chat group. I'm sure you guys were annoyed over. It's like, look at this. I compared to this, to this, and I, you know, this distance and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I think they got a really good thing going, uh, and I think it's going to fit a lot of golfers because it's kind of that weird thing. And I, I said this, I did a live on Instagram the other day. Um, you know, some of the most red pieces that I do are based on are like Costco equipment, right? Costco wedges, Costco golf balls, Kirkland irons, like might be coming. And all this stuff, and people like, a lot of golfers, we are in the gear space. We are in the golf gear nerd space. We are the absolute top of the nerd golf equipment pyramid. And, but there's a lot of people below that don't want necessarily the aftermarket shafts or all these different things. And that's a huge percentage of the golf population. And I think this really fits into a brand that people recognize and offers a ton of value. So I'm, I'm really curious. And like I said, I tested it out. I'm going to do some more testing and post some more about it on social because I, I really do believe they've got a good thing going here. And they spent a lot of time developing this as well. It's not rebranded old tailor-made stuff or anything like that. It is it is being treated as a separate entity to be run separately from the company and you know it just happens to be under the same umbrella. Well, and you know, it's interesting. So TaylorMade was purchased, I don't know, two, three years ago, and their ownership group is really aggressive in wanting to um kind of expand the um uh, the overall economic footprint of the company. And I see this as kind of a, you know, a new revenue channel for them to your points exactly. And that's, um, they can take all of the tailor-made expertise, um, but they don't have to put in all the high tech that tailor-made has. So they can simplify the tech. They can, um, but they can use the same knowledge base to provide affordable equipment. And it's, um, there's a huge, huge market and Kirkland slash Costco has obviously tapped into it and created a lot of interest. Not everybody buys a brand new driver. I just was talking to a real estate agent a couple of days ago and it was fascinating. You know, his irons are like, 12 years old, 14 years old, and he bought them used and they're senior flex shafts. And the guy swings at like 105 miles an hour and three of the shafts are bent and they're worn out. And he's, and he's telling me about how these clubs cost him strokes. He's, he knows this and he's a sicko. He plays once or twice a week. I said, dude, spend the grand on a new set of irons. And I said, you, you can have them for another 10 years. And I said, 
for you, equipment really matters. You can shave three because he's, he's like, yeah, man, I leave everything right and I can't hold greens. And I'm like, it's because you have no tread on your, you know, tire anymore. You're you're riding on bald tires and they're wobbly and your suspension's all jacked up. And it's like, but you're still driving the car. And it's uh, we're all creatures of habit, but what we fail to realize sometimes is seeing the forest through the trees. And it's like, just spend a little bit of money, spend it wisely. And then you will get much enrichment out of that. And I understand not everybody can afford the latest and the greatest. And to be honest, that's what puts food on your table. RB and my table is the sickos that buy a new driver two times a year or a new set of irons once a year. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart, because once again, as we're down this sentimental journey, it's been a good ride in this industry. So I appreciate your sickness and I like to feed it, but there's also a huge chunk of that pyramid that can't afford that or doesn't want to. And there are a lot of great options there. They might not be tip of the spear providing the latest technology, but they're going to give you a lot of satisfaction. And that's where I think Adams has, is it's always been a good brand. Um, it got lost a little bit when TaylorMade purchased it. And it'll be interesting to see how it progresses, you know, in this new, um, uh, in this new iteration, you know, that they're unveiling. And, and a part of this as well is like, there are other brands. I'm not going to mention them. You can go online. You can read about them. I wrote about it, like white label golf products that have been purchased by other either individuals or small investment companies. And I'm, t- and I'm talking like, you know, small, <laughs> like one or two people kind of shops here. Right. And they've, they've gone out and they've purchased these brands and they, they, they put a logo on a, uh, something that you can basically pick out of a, a catalog from an, from a company in, in overseas and just say like, I want a logo on a hollow body iron. I want, an inexpensive golf shaft and sell them for three or four ninety nine for a set of golf clubs. That's not what this is at all. This is like two years. Cause you talked to the designer, like they started this project like two years ago when they first like kind of did the initial Adams website and did the first hybrid in February with that came back. The tight lies was back and it was very nineties branded and it was on, I don't know if they did it on purpose or not, but it was looked very infomercially from the, like the website design and all of that stuff. And I think it was probably very intentional. I don't think that they don't do anything intentionally when it comes to their marketing and their, their approach, but this is all stuff that has been uniquely designed to fit this player target. And I think the wedge, which I'm really, again, I'm really excited to test out, uh, is, is a perfect example of this. You've got Seagrews and, and yes, putter, yes, putter technology in the Adams putters. You've got slot technology in the fairy woods and all of this stuff. So I think that what they've really created here is something that's going to fit a lot of players. And like you said, this is, and this is kind of leads into our next topic, but before we get to that, which we will in a second, um, you know, talking about how like we test product right like we can go into like the scientific detail but there are people that are just going to go online and say look i want good value i want something new i want something from a particular brand i don't want to spend the time asking 100 people about you know what's the best use set from the last five years like they don't want that they they want to be able to purchase something new and i think that that's really important um now that was that was a really bad segue, Gene, because I kind of almost did it myself. <laughs> which like, you know, I know I'm rusty. I'm rusty, Gene. Uh, you are out of touch, my brother. So rusty I was here. Like, I was like, come on, man. I want to save you, and I'm, I'm 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 the clown in the clown show. And if I'm trying to like 
throw you a lifeline. We got, let's, we just gotta, go, let's just go to the ad read. How about that? Let's just let's just go right to the ad read, folks. Here we go. Uh, because we do have, before we get to that, we do have an interview coming up, uh, which uh, Jonathan Wall did, uh, I guess, a couple weeks ago now, Davis Riley, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so we're going to get to that in just a minute because we're going to touch on our, our final subject here. But before we get there, uh, we'll get to the ad read because, yeah, that was just a, that was a really bad transition. But either way, we have to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by golf pride and not only is golf pride the choice of the masters champion who used uh the mcc which is a a great hybrid technology grip that has cord in the upper hand and a softer uh durometer rubber in the lower hand for comfort on the glove that you don't or on the hand that you don't wear a glove on but there's also a ton of other options as well when it comes to the z grip for ultimate traction and control you also have the cpx the cp2 which offer uh, a lot of vibration dampening. The CP2 actually comes all the way into like a jumbo size grip and reduced taper. So if you're someone that really needs reduced grip pressure and someone who needs help with being able to control the golf club, that's another great option as well. And then you have the CPX, which kind of reminds you of your old BMX bike grips, right? Uh, which is great. And it is their softest performance grip ever. So you get that, that texture, you get the opportunity to have something that's going to reduce vibration because when you do have something that is more comfortable in your hands and Golfport has proven this, through player testing, you'll actually gain yardage as well because it is the only connection you have between you and your golf club. And when it feels comfortable, when you have traction, when it fits your hands properly, not only are you going to make more comfortable golf swing, you're going to make a faster golf swing, you're going to make a more confident golf swing, and you're going to hit the golf ball better as well. I can't promise you that, but hopefully you will. You know. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, if you are looking to try some new grips, you can head over to golfpride.com. That's well, you can probably spell golf and pride. Let's figure that out. But golf, G-O-L-F-P-R-I-D-E.com to learn more. And if you use the code fully equipped, now again, I trust you people can spell. We all have computers and phones that spell check for us, but just in case you need it, it's F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D. Use code fully equipped for free shipping on your next order. There is no minimum purchase required, and that is available to all U.S. customers. So you can either pick a select, small selection of grips to try out and then you know, go back and, and get the one that you really want, or you want to load up for the season. And you know, if you are going to be buying some new golf clubs, like you said, Gene, uh, one of those people that buys a new driver uh, you know, a couple times a year, you can have all the grips that you need at, over at golfpride.com. So we thank them for their support, and uh, be sure to check them out. Yeah. And, you know, quick note on that. One of the things I think that really can benefit a lot of players that they don't think about is regripping their clubs every two to three years, especially if you're an active player. And it's just something that uh, most players don't think about or forget. And it really does matter. And it matters because, you know, in my world, the difference of half or a degree of face angle on delivery is so critical to consistent strikes and consistent ball flight. And it's real easy for that club to open or close or slip in your hands. If you don't have, um, new grips and it doesn't cost much. And if you love that set of irons, you know, we were just talking about, it's a very, very inexpensive alternative to a new set of clubs. And um, it will keep you kind of, you know, let's just put it this way. When you hit a bad shot, you can blame it on yourself, not your equipment, because, you know, you, you know, you've got a good set of grips and that is important. Now, testing. This is, this is kind of the, the final subject here because we, we get a lot of questions about this because 
you know, I am the guy that tests at home and hit shots and posts, you know, single screenshots of, of shots online. Yes, I do cherry pick ones because the goal is to kind of showcase things that are, are hit within the same because I am not a robot, right? I have my perception of how a golf club feels, how a golf club sounds, um, how a golf club looks. I care about all those things. And also the other part of this is I miss shots. So that's why I like testing. That's why you guys get bombarded with screenshots sometimes from foresight because I'm giving you information of, Hey, like this is what's going on. And as, as you pointed out one time, Oh, gee, as you said to me, when I sent you a picture of the, uh, I think it was the fairywood, you said, Oh man, you pulled the crap out of that. I said, no, no, it's just the, the alignment and all these things. But, but that's why it is important that we do both. And I think this is why when we have all of the data, which you just wrapped up, which was, I believe it was fairywoods, hybrids and irons or uh, sorry, hybrids and, and irons. So we haven't done hybrids yet. We we uh, finished fairway woods. We just finished irons, uh, which have not been released. We kind of teased. We finished wedges as well, and we have hybrids to uh, test. And I think for those who are listening, the reason I think this is so important. I know we just, you guys touched on this last week. I was on the way, but I do listen because I'm curious to know what you guys are in, talking about. Um, and I'm a sicko. So anyway, I got I to gotta know what's going on. I'm not involved in the conversation here. Uh, but why it's important for to under, like take that data that, that we supply, whether it be drivers or ferry woods and talking about launch and spin and bias and all that stuff. And then be take those options to, and then test yourself because there are clubs that you might not like the look of. You, to me, sounds odd, but like you might not like the color of it, right? Like, it might not suit your eye. And that's, that's, I think is, and Max Taylor may just released this cool video of Rory talk. He's on the, uh, he just got a new wedge. So he mentioned that, but it was on their social. Like he's in the van talking with one of the reps about like the leading edge and all this transition and all this stuff. And it's like, it's insane that like, yes, he's got an I 40. He's obviously played golf for a very long time. He's got a very particular look that he's looking for. Heck Taylor made CNC, you know, from single blocks of steel, call more cows, irons, right? Like these guys get what they want. But, you know, as a golfer, because they are, they are, they are sponsored by a particular brand. So that particular brand is going to make them what they want. But you, as a consumer, have your money and you can spend it how you want. You can go out and pick any brand that you want. You can pick any club that you want and put that in your bag. You are not tied to a, to a single brand by any means. I mean, unless someone's paying you, which I don't think they are. So because you have this opportunity, you can go through and do your own personal testing. Say, I like the look of this iron. I like the feel of this iron. I like the sound of this iron. It might have the option that I want as far as being able to custom order from the company, whether it be the shaft that I know is going to fit me or even the all the way down to the grip option that might be stock or might, be, might come uh, offered on the grip through a custom order. All of those things matter. And this is where consumer testing is so important, but you can use as a base computer and robot data to help start that decision. And that's why I think it's so important to use both. Again, the Adam stuff, left bias for me. I need something that goes left to right. And to your point, which I think is this, this to me was actually very funny. The couple that I was paired with at St. Andrews um, was just a local couple, younger couple. And uh, they had like old beat up clubs in their bag and they didn't care. That's like, they they were just, they're, they're members of the links. They, they have, they live in town. And you know what? I was like, man, they would. I want. I was watching them play, and of course, being like the sicko that I am, because like I said, after the first tee jitters and all that stuff, I'm just like, I'm just a person out there playing with strangers. All I could think of was, oh man, they would do so much better with different clubs in their bag right now, like whether it be because we're in the wind or whether it be because of like the links or whatever happened, like because of the ground conditions. But I'm like, this guy's really struggling with his driver, 
he needs something that is not so draw biased because he is just pumping these things left, which is a good place to miss on St. Andrews. But it's it, to me, it's like my brain never shuts off from that. But it's also you know easy to understand where so many people, even people that golf all the time, don't understand what goes into their equipment, and that's why you know we have the we have the robot data that we do. That's why we nerd out on all the stuff that we do, and then why we always stress that it's important to get a little bit of information and hopefully go see a fitter along the way because it you know it's still shocking. I was like, oh, what do they have in the bag? Like I'm here. I got like I brought my clubs and everything like that, um, and. Um, it's actually, I didn't realize they, they actually rent clubs there for people. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they, and they rent people buggies. show up all over the place. And they, they rent clubs. And I was like, Oh, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, if you're just like in town, you want to like borrow a set of clubs and save yourself some money. Um, I dragged my clubs there and then got them back. They're actually on their way. I'm following the air tag. They nice. went from St. Andrews to London, to Paris, to Toronto, which is again, fascinating to just follow like the logistics of like one package through the, through the, the I guess just through the system. But, well, um, so, so to your point, it's funny. I was playing a year ago with a guy who doesn't play very much, stranger kind of thing, and I, I am exactly the way you are. And it's 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 so tough to turn it off because you know there's two types of people: those who really appreciate advice on a golf course, and those who yeah. don't. You don't and, want to be the guy who's giving unsolicited advice. Yeah, but this guy, he was you know 16, 17 handicap, but he took the game seriously. And he couldn't hold a green because he was, you know, he's hitting his pitching wedge from like 30, 40 yards in. And I, uh, I walked up to him after the turn and I said, Hey, I said, I just want to let you know, you know, you can hit your sand wedge. And he goes, what? I said, you, you might get a little bit more benefit if you hit your <laughs> sand wedge from those shots. He goes, well, the sand wedge is just for the sand. And I go, actually not really, but, uh, just try it. And all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's lobbing these shots in and instead of rolling off the green, he's got a putt now, 30, 40 feet. And the guy thought I was a God, you know, and he's like, I oh like do, you, do you only use your ferry from the ferry or do you use it off the tee? But the, the point being, we take all this for granted. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny story, but I don't blame the guy because the guy goes out there, he plays, he's, you know, he's just trying to figure out the rules of the game, much less the equipment. And unless you, unless you're, you know, a sicko, it's like, there's a lot of information to be learned out there that we take for granted. And hopefully this podcast, hopefully this testing, hopefully all this information simplifies the understanding of what equipment does, what new equipment does. It's not only a guide towards purchasing equipment, but when we do these robotic tests um, to highlight, should you play a hybrid or should you play a, you know, lofted fairway wood, or should you play a driving iron, for example, to give you some information so that you can figure out the type of player you are and figure out which one's best for your game because it's um it's complicated. It's really complicated. And to be honest, a lot of the OEMs they don't do the greatest job. There's there's kind of this, you know, one of my issues with golf as a whole is there's this expectation of a knowledge base when you walk into the sport and even for people that play it 
where do you get that information? And hopefully we're providing that. And by providing that, we're doing a service so that people can make better choices when it comes to purchasing equipment, but also choosing what equipment for what situation would best serve them to enjoy the game. So, you know, that's my public service announcement for today. And we're talking to all sickos. So if your friends are asking out there and, you know, that's why hopefully you're helping them too. You know, it's, it's the trickle down, trickle down effects of knowledge. Right. Um, yep. But, in, and to your point, it's like the other, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I got my brakes fixed on the car. I got like brakes replaced. Cause every time I backed out of the driveway, it just squealed like so bad. And I was like, I just need to take, I finally need to take this into the garage. Cause this does not sound right. And it's kind of like getting new grips, right? You're like, you don't really feel like, you know, they, they're worn out, but you know, they, they could be. Right. So I took it into the garage and I was like, okay, I, I don't know what it is, but it just, it squeals. I, it might be the brakes. And, uh, but I, I was like, listen, you take, you let the, you let the mechanic drive it around, which I'm always impressed. Like, you know, you know, like the car, you just start the car and they're like, oh yeah, it's like this thing. Right. It's like, oh, it's that. Cause I can hear it. And I'm like, well, geez, that's so cool. Um, but like I told them, I was like, look, you just back it out of this, you back it out of this driveway in the garage. You take it for one lap around the block and you'll know exactly what's wrong with it. Cause I don't know. I'm not the expert. You deal with it. So like, don't ask me, don't ask me what's wrong with it. You just, you know, figure it out. And like, and I didn't say that in a condescending way, obviously I'm just like, you know, I think it's a brakes, but I'll let you guys handle that because I am not the expert and I will gladly default to the people that know what they're doing. Um, and speaking of, you know, having good conversations, that was really bad again. God, I'm so rusty. Um, we will, uh, we'll wrap it there. That was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, kind of reminiscing and, you know, I will say if you want to bug Gene on social, he's, he's really good at restaurant recommendations all over the world. Uh, he's a well-traveled man. Uh, so thanks for that, Gene. Uh, thanks for the My conversation pleasure. this week. And uh, we will kick it over to Jonathan's conversation with uh, Davis Riley. I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, it's always fun to be joined by recent tour winners on the pod. And this week we have a good one in 2023 Zurich Classic winner, Davis Riley. Davis, Congrats, man, and thanks for joining the pod. Hey, what's up, buddy? No, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, before we get down to gear, I got to know, all right, so you're a Bama guy. Nick Hardy, your your teammate, is an Illinois guy. How did you guys link up? Because from everything that I've heard, this event is a little bit like golf's version of the prom, where, where somebody's got to ask and somebody's either going to give you a yes or a no. How, how did you guys pair up? Yeah, so it, it all kind of transpired uh, pretty uh, pretty last minute because I was on the fence if I was even going to play. But uh, yeah, we we committed to playing with each other probably three or four weeks ago. But no, me and Nick, we've been really good buddies since junior golf, college golf, and now into the professional golf. Uh, but we've known each other for a long time, and I'm not sure if you saw some of the photos that kind of resurrected when we played in the uh, 2014 Wyndham Cup. I did see that uh, at AJGA event. Um, so it was pretty funny. And when we, when we saw this photo, we were like, we got to look up and see how he did. And we actually won that match five and four. I forget who we played, but we won. So I was like, ah, oh, maybe there's a little something to it. That's awesome. You know, I'm wondering because you guys both use, use Pro B1 golf balls, does, does that come into to play at all when, when you're able to just use? I know you guys don't use the exact same ball, but it's, it's you know, kind of a similar composition. Oh yeah, oh hundred percent. It was an easy transition. Like uh, he, like you said, we we're both in the Titleist ball, but he uh, he was in the Pro V One X, and I was in the Pro V One. But there are some similarities, and we could kind of use it to our strength a little bit. Like you know, some of the par fives and the alternate shot, he hit the Pro V One because it has a little bit more of that lower spin kind of go. And then um, on some of the par threes, he just used his own ball. So we kind of mixed and matched it to our own ability and played it. 
uh, which was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, no, and, and that made it really easy because the balls do have a lot of similarities and um, just being both titles guys made that um, whole process really easy. So you mentioned that you're playing the Pro V1 and I'm always curious when I talk to tour pros what their testing process is like because the golf ball, obviously that's the one piece of equipment in the bag that you're using on every shot. What What is ball testing look like for you and how long does it typically take you to get comfortable with a golf ball to the point where you'll say, all right, I've vetted this golf ball enough and it's, it's good enough for me to put in play. Sure. Yeah. I, I would say my ball testing process and what I do with the Titleist guys out there on tour with me, I would say it's pretty in depth. You know, it's one thing like, okay, first things first, we kind of take the ball I'm currently in and then the ball, new ball and then get on track man, hit, you know, four or five shots with a handful of different clubs and compare the numbers. What's our launch doing? What's our spin doing? What's the carry numbers? Um, first seeing that, and then you kind of go from there, you're like, okay, like, okay. And this is what I noticed with the ball that I was currently playing. And then we got the new one. It was like, okay, I was seeing um, similar spin numbers, but getting a little bit more distance out of it, which was, which was nice. So it's not like I was, hit, I was hitting it further for the right reasons. And so I was like, wow, there's something to this. Um, so, and then I would say that's the beginning process, comparing numbers, comparing apples to apples, and then getting on the course and hitting shots, you know, getting out there, um, and in the elements and seeing how the ball reacts. And if, if the, tra the trajectory is still fitting your eye and such, and, um, what I found with the new Pro V1, I gained a little bit of distance, and actually my dispersion came in a little bit, um, especially going up with the longer clubs. And so it was a no-brainer for me. And uh, and I've had, you know, ever since I switched, I've had some um, pretty good success with it, and I, I'm I'm stoked about the ball. Sticking with with testing, how much are you testing and tinkering with your equipment setup during the course of the season? Do you prefer to? to like start with the bag in January and kind of keep that rolling for, for most of the season, unless you need to make a change or are you constantly, you know, tailoring your bag for different setups throughout the year? Yeah, I would say, um, I'm a guy kind of like when I find something I like, I like to keep it pretty consistent. Uh, I'm not the guy I would say that's tinkering around with a bunch, but I do, I would say the one variable in my bag that can change kind of week to week, I guess you could say is I, depending on the course, I'll carry, um, a T203 iron with me, and then I carry my uh, TSR th uh, 2 hybrid with me. So if it's more of a golf course where, okay, I'm hitting a lot of fairway finders or I'm just having a lot of long par threes, I'll put the T203 iron in play. Or if it's like, okay, I need a little bit more loft into some of these par fives that I'm going for in two, then I go over to the uh, TSR uh, 2 hybrid. I Speaking of the irons, I noticed you have three different, I guess if you could even say three four different iron models if you had the two iron in the bag. And I always want to know how guys decide where to break those irons up. And, sure. I mean, how, how detailed, how in depth, what's the process like for you when you're trying to kind of mix and match irons? Cause I know Titleist has a bunch of great options and yep. you know, split sets have become a lot more popular. How do you figure out how to, to like break up that set and use one model, you know, for the bottom and one for the top and then maybe throw in a, another long iron? For sure. I, actually, this this combo set I have at the moment is a set and how it's kind of laid out that I've had since probably high school, honestly. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's something that's been really consistent. Like I played the Blades in the 987, and then I went to the 6 and 5, and I played the CB, and then in the 4, and I played the T100. But the point being behind that, I love the workability and the feel and the turf interaction and the low irons. Like, Because when you get in the rough, that you know, that blade has such a nice leading edge on it. You can cut through the rough really well, but 
And then on the back side, like there's so much forgiveness there, right? Because like I, I don't really care who you are. There's nothing wrong with <clears throat> nothing wrong with having a little help on that back end. And you know, with the T100 and the CBs, there's a little bit more there, and I think a little bit more forgiving. Um, and two, and I can get a little bit more distance out of the T1, T100 and the forearm, which is nice. So I think it's all about like I love the workability in the short irons with the blades and the feel. And then as I go up, I like having a little bit more forgiveness and maybe like a little bit more of a uh, um, a little bit more there when you're over the ball. Now, I know Titleist is is one of the the few manufacturers out there where they'll kind of make those custom adjustments for guys' clubs. Are your irons are they pretty much like stock? straight out of the box or do you make any adjustments to to the sole grinds at all or or any modifications any any way the iron looks at a dress yeah so no i don't have i would say it's fairly stocked the only thing that is different maybe my lying was a little on the flatter side i don't know the exact just yeah. like a half degree um but i think i'm 99 sure the lofts um are standard and then they're just the y angle is tweaked a little bit but no i'm not anybody who's getting them and then i'm throwing a bunch of lead tape or like grinding down the soles a little bit so i would say for the most part it's uh pretty standard so i always have to ask this question just to see if a guy's a real gearhead or not do you know your specs like if i were to ask you to reel off the specs for like your driver or you know a five wood could you give me from like length to, to shaft and, and all that, could, could you reel it off for me? Or, or are you a guy that just I mean, relies I, more on the Titleist guys to kind of help get you dialed? Yeah, you know, I would say a little bit. I could probably tell you the generic stuff. Like I know exactly what shafts I have, what grips, um, and then the lie angle stuff I was telling you. But if we're going into maybe like the loss and the swing weight stuff, that's probably yeah. maybe out of my uh, a little bit. <laughs> expertise so I, we've got so many good guys we work with i kind of leave that up to them so <laughs> I, I would say probably the generic stuff I, I wouldn't say i'm as much as a gearhead where i could tell you like swing weight and exactly the all that kind of stuff so how much time are you spending in the truck on a given week like do, do you just pop in there to say to say hey to the guys do you get your loft and lies checked out on, on a regular basis when you're out on tour, how much time are you, are you spending with those guys on the, on the tour truck? Oh, hundred percent. That's, um, spending time with those guys on the truck is a part of a big part of my process. I mean, I, I like to start the beginning of every week, dropping my clubs off and being like, you know, I would say like checking, Hey, let's check these lies and lost out. Let's make sure they're in line. Because I mean, I'm always like, if I can control it, I want to do it. All right. Cause like, if it's a little thing like, and that, that stuff gets thrown off throughout the course of year, you go, you, you know, you travel so much and then you play in hot environments, stuff can, those little tweaks can end up making a really big difference. And if you can control that and you can take out one of the variables of this game, then why not do it? So dropping my clubs off at the truck and hanging out with the guys and just getting my lies and loss and specs and everything checked at the beginning of the week is uh, crucial for me. I do it. I do it pretty much every week. So the Titleist TSR3 driver, I believe you were like one of the very first guys to switch that. And I think you had some, some pretty good success when, you know, everything that I had heard from talking to tour pros was TSI was just so good that mm -hmm. I always wondered how many guys were going to make that immediate switch. Were you surprised with how quickly you were able to make the jump from the, the TSI to the TSR, just given how, again, how good that, that TSI product was? Yeah, you know, like you said, the TSI um, driver and the woods were so good. I, I, I fell in love with them, and um, I was like, wow, how do you even top this thing? But no, I, remember, I can remember the exact moment they showed up, they debuted them at the Travelers Championship last year, 
And I hit some on the range and we compared numbers and I was like, wow, this is really good. Like I'm actually got a little distance on this. I, I don't remember the exact number of yards, but I, I did have a little bit of um, additional distance. But I was like, I mean, everybody loves that. I was like, okay, well, I'll take this thing out of the course. So I hit in the practice rounds Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, hit it really good. So I was like, I'm just going to game this thing. It's really good. And uh, it was funny. I went on to that week to lead strokes gained off the tee. Um, and, uh, it, that was pretty, pretty crazy. I think I gained like six strokes off the tee for the week. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I had immediate success with it and, uh, and yeah, and it's, I fell in love with it and it's, and it's obviously been in the bag ever since. So as a tour pro, I, I know that you, you know, that's that, that upper level that has that otherworldly feel like you can feel things with a golf club that the average golfer just can't, or, or things that stick out to you that might not bother uh, the average golfer, how many shots when you're testing, let's just say like the TSR driver, how many shots could it take you to tell, all right, this, this setup feels good to me, or you know what, like, it's just not worth it for me to hit any more golf balls. Like I, I'm going to need to make an adjustment here. Right. Yeah. I would say, uh, and honestly, I feel like some of that process too can be before you even hit a golf ball. Cause if I'm looking down at something and I don't like the way it looks, I'm not going to set myself up for a good shot. So um, you know, I, I haven't obviously haven't had any of those troubles with any of the telescope. Everything looks good over the ball, but yeah, I would say as far as like, you know, taking a deep dive into the numbers and the feel, obviously feel off the face is so important to me, especially with the irons and, um, driver and stuff like that. You got to have something that feels right. Like, right. Cause you, I mean, as us pros, I mean, we've all at some point, like, you know, we've seen felt stuff that we're just like, oh, okay, that feels a little bit different than what I'm accustomed to. And you kind of have to adjust, but um, yeah, feel and sound is important to me. And then obviously diving into the numbers, hitting shots. I, I think you can find a way like to put a number on it. Like you could find out a handful of shots if the club yeah. is right. For you. So I, I think pretty immediately. You mentioned diving into the data and it, it seems like everywhere you look nowadays, launch monitors are, are just, they feel like they're almost like a fabric of the game. Now guys have it. You're, you're getting that instantaneous feedback, but I was want to know, like, how do you, when you're testing, how do you weight the numbers that you're seeing on a launch monitor versus like the variables that you can't equate with a launch monitor, like the feel, um, the sounded impact, like how, how are you weighting those? Like which, which is more important to you or, or is it more, you know, they're kind of 50, 50 when you're testing. Yeah, maybe pretty close to 50, 50, but I, I honestly think like, well, like you said, I start my process, like, you know, getting into the numbers on the range and seeing how it compares, but, you know, and, and it's the thing too, like, say you have a, you know, a club that you might be hitting further, but like, okay, you're so used to seeing the wind hit this ball a certain way, and then you're hitting through it and you're like, oh, you're going farther than I think. So, and I think it's all personal, really. Like, I mean, it, it's just, uh, it's so used to what your eyes seeing, like trajectory wise, distance wise. But I would say like, if you're seeing something really positive on, you know, track band and numbers like that in a positive direction, it's pretty hard to, um, for me, feel like dispute that. You know, every week when I'm out on tour, I see guys talking and sometimes those conversations are, are about gear, you know, what somebody has in the bag. And, and I'm always curious, how, how often do you talk to the guys that you hang out with out on tour or, or guys that you trust their, their, you know, insights? Do you ever say, Hey, what's working for you and just to try and see like what's hot or do you kind of just keep to yourself and not really worry about, you know, what others are using or, or something that you might be interested in testing? 
Yeah, sure. I, you know, I wouldn't say I go seek out and, you know, ask guys what they're playing. I, I feel like it's all about kind of forming with us best you and just having all those gaps filled in your bag. And the, but I mean, the, I, I'd be lying if there weren't instances where I see guy like, I mean, for instance, this week, um, I saw, I mean, Nick, he was playing the T100S foreign actually, um, which is actually this, um, it's the stock foreign, but I think it's a slightly stronger, um, loft and i was like wow that's pretty interesting he's like yeah you know in the four and i kind of like how i can this can use as like a you know three and a half iron where like i feel like i can get like 235 out of it but i can still like cut it and um you know hit that 220 or 215 shot with a four where i don't have maybe like that extra go that maybe a utility iron would have and i was like oh that's you know that's pretty interesting um so there are instances of where like that where you see guys have something that you might not you know, of imagine, but, you know, talking with them logically about it kind of makes sense. So that I thought that was, that's a perfect example of what I thought was uh, really cool that Nick had. So I see your Scotty Cameron t-shirt. Oh yeah. I got it. it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was talking to Max Homer recently and I wanted to know when did he get that first Cameron putter as a kid that made him feel like, like I've made it like, Oh my gosh, it's whether it was like a tour putter or, or one that just like, that sticks out to you. And, and I'm curious, I want to ask you like, where, when did you get that first Cameron putter that made you go like, Holy smokes, I'm, I'm a junior golfer, but it kind of feels like I made it a little bit. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, you know, I can't pinpoint exactly what year that was. Uh, I want to say I was probably a freshman or sophomore in high school and but I, I know exactly the putter. The first circle tee I got, I was like, "Wow, this is incredible!" I was like, "I've I feel like a tour pro." <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at a um, a Golo circle tee, um, I, I want to say it was like 2012 or something like some well, a year something like that. But I and um, I still have that putter to this day. And I, I'm kind of I become more kind of a putter junkie, and I get really uh, interested in because I'm always the guy like. When Scotty comes out with a new putter, I'll go straight to the tour bag on the putting green and I just want to see it and like I love all it. That. And so I've I've developed a pretty cool collection. I've probably got I don't know, probably twelve or fifteen circle T's Scotty Cameron's now and um they're they're really cool and um it's kind of one of my little hobbies, I guess, to start collecting them. And then obviously you get into the head covers too, which are really cool. So I've developed a, a pretty good collection um of putters. I'm assuming you've been out to the studio. I have. I've been two or three times. Paul it's is like golf mecca. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's like being in. Uh, it's like being in La La Land over there. It's uh, it's pretty cool. And I remember the first time I actually went to the studio. It, I, it was either my second or third Scotty putter. But I went over there and did some work with Paul. And then he took me into the back where you know that you get to watch him make the putter. You get to sign the cool table with you know you, you see the ricky fowlers and you know all the guys Roy mcroy and the guys that have been through there um which was really cool but to go behind the scenes and see how you know all the work that goes into making these beautiful putters was uh, it was pretty cool so you're using a scotty cameron phantom x 7.2 um but what the thing that stuck out to me was was the alignment the alignment lines on top you've got the single line on the top line, but then you have two additional lines, one on either side of the, of the wings. Mm. So what's kind of, what's the, the story behind that? Like how, how does that help you having the kind of the two lines? I know that would be to frame it, but then to have the one there in the middle, what's the story behind it? 
Yeah. So for me, uh, I feel like alignment of setup is so key for me. So I feel like the more sight lines I have, the better for me. And it just gives me the best opportunity to be square. And that's honestly a lot of the reason why I have the plumber's neck on it too, because it has a unique neck that you don't see a lot on those 7.2 putters. Um, Just because I feel like that is another sight line to get square because you have kind of the neck, the top line, and then the two wings at the bottom. So for me, my stroke, I feel like is moves around um you know how i am a setup like right because if i struggle with getting a little bit open and that sets me up to get a really inside to out path but if i'm square i have a lot better um it sets me up a lot better to take it a little bit more down the line to have that putter face square throughout the stroke so uh for me the the story behind that is just pretty much a more and more lines just to try to get me square at setup so i was looking through your wedges and i believe your 60t that is that an ad grind on the so i actually carry two wedges with me i have the 60t and then i have a 60 80 plus yes okay so how do you determine when when you're going to use you know whichever one of the two wedges yeah for sure so i use the 80 plus a little bit more (laughs) whenever um like the conditions might be a little bit softer or there's a lot of sand in the bunkers. It's not that wet compact sand. It's like that beachy sand where you're really just splashing up a lot of sand because there's a little bit more bounce and there's a wider sole that'll get me out a little bit quicker. And especially when the conditions get really wet, um, it'll kind of get me out of the ground a little bit sooner. So I'd say the 80 plus is a little bit softer, fluffier bunker conditions. And then the 60 T I feel like when it's really tight around the greens, you know, when you get at a U.S. Open and the um, the fairway grass is just super tight and compact and then like firm and um, firm kind of wet sand. So it, I feel like it has a little bit more of a leading edge and then just kind of cuts through it a little bit better. How often are you changing wedges during the course of the season? Is it Because I know some guys are changing out like pretty much their whole set others are, are just doing the lob wedge where kind of where do you stand on changing out your wedges yeah i would say i mean 60 degree i change out quite a bit throughout the year i would say i change that probably six to seven times a year probably five six seven times a year just because i'm <clears throat> spending so much time around the greens hitting shots hitting bunker shots and um you're just using that wedge a lot more, I feel like, than other wedges. Um, so that one definitely the most. And then I would say it's pretty tapered up throughout the bag, like once or twice with the 55, once or twice with the 50 and wedge. All right, last question for you. <clears throat> it seems like you've got a pretty deep history with Titleist. Uh, how far does how far does that go back? It, go, it, it goes very far back. I remember the first guys I'd worked with at Titleist were Nick Gilliam and Jim Ahern and uh, Bubba Kruger. Um, those guys, um, you know, I remember being in high school. And that, that was kind of the thing of like, um, you want to be on, you want to be a, a Titleist guy, Titleist staffer, because, um, you know, you grow up playing their stuff. And so those were my first interactions. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm starting to <laughs> choke up here. Oh. <laughs> Scratchy throat. Um, but anyways, those were the first couple guys I'd work with. And obviously I grew up playing Titleist. I dreamed of, you know, being a PGA tour player, playing, playing their stuff. And, um, and I remember like one of, uh, I believe it was Nick Gilliam had reached out. Um, uh, I would say my freshman or sophomore year of high school and, um, you know, they have that, uh, program and I got on that and I was starting to get some stuff from them and it was, uh, it was a dream come true. And then, and it's kind of come in full circle to finally, you know, be out here and be a title of staffer. It's uh, it's pretty surreal. Now a title of staffer with a win. Davis Riley, sure. thanks so much, man, for the time. Keep celebrating. 
And again, thanks for being on Fully Equipped. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, that conversation with uh, Davis Riley. We definitely thank him for his time with that because, you know, there's, there's lots of little nuggets in there uh, to, to grab from that conversation. Uh, and remember, you can always follow us along at, uh, at Fully Equipped. You can just, you know, plug it into the old little Twitter and Instagram machine. You'll find us there. Uh, we post all kinds of stuff, all kinds of clips. Uh, Jonathan just posted as well uh, this past week from the Wells Fargo, the newest ping LST Fairywood, which everyone was kind of eagerly awaiting. So, you know, that's why we sprinkle them there and you can find all kinds of other clips, including clips from the show. So to everyone out there, thank you for listening. This was episode 188 of Fully Equipment.